The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, and welcome to this week's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm your host, Ian Fisher, and recording this show on what is a rainy Thursday morning in the Pacific Northwest. By the time you hear this show, we'll be on the verge of July, and so I hope you're very close to putting the final touches on your plans for the 4th and soaking up as much summer sun as you can handle. I hope it gets sunny here before then as well. Uh, Today, we plan to touch on late scholarships and summer scholarship deadlines, so if your student is looking for some last-minute funding as a senior, uh, or if they're just starting the the scholarship process as a sophomore, junior. Um, We'd be glad to to help you learn all about that in our last segment today. Um, And in our second segment, we're going to talk books. I'll just leave that alone and hope you'll stick around for it about 20 minutes from now. Before all that, though, we want to continue our behind-the-scenes series by talking through yet another college admission office. And we're so lucky here at College Coach that we have a team of educators with such a broad range of expertise and experience at at a variety of different institutions. Um, Joining us today is my talented colleague, Lauren Randall, a former senior admission officer at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. Lauren, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Ian. It's great to be with you. Absolutely. Now, you you are the second person on our team with Georgetown experience, Um, and you, as I understand it, Georgetown has had a very similar structure for a, a long time. Karen Spencer, our colleague, likes to say that their essays haven't changed since God was born and that there's a, there's a very sort of <laughs> traditional sense about Georgetown. Um, would you sort of agree that it's it's an office that, at least in your experience, has had a fairly consistent practice with respect to admission evaluation over the last you know decade or two? Absolutely. Um, there's no doubt about it. The dean of admissions there has is an institution in and, in and of himself. He's been there, I think, probably 50 <laughs> years. Um, so he's right. Not much changes in terms of how applications are reviewed there. Um, yes. <laughs> so that's, I mean, that's great, I think, for, for students that are um, trying to get advice, uh, certainly from us, uh, you know, members of our team who used to work there or who are hearing feedback from counselors who've had students in the past that have applied to Georgetown. Um, what are some of the things that you think are unique about the application to Georgetown? So things that on a student-facing side that they're going to see when it comes to applying to Georgetown that's going to be different from, from other schools. Sure. So I think the first and most important element of the Georgetown application is that students need to understand that they are not 
applying to Georgetown University. You are not applying to the to the <laughs> university, and then you kind of figure it out once you get there. You are very distinctively applying to one of the four colleges within Georgetown, and the entire review process revolves around that choice you make. So students absolutely are pulling the trigger on one of the four, four colleges. There's a lot more flexibility and, and freedom within the major, which students don't tend to choose for a while. So you're not really roped into a major, but the decision on which of the four colleges you're applying to is really important, and I think it's something that students don't always comprehend or always do their research on um, when they're applying. So that's the first big, big um, distinction with Georgetown. Interesting. Now, now, when it comes time to make that decision, um, students might be inclined towards one school or another. They probably are going to feel a strong connection to at least one. Uh, does it change uh, dramatically the way that they have to approach their application, given where they might plan to apply? Sure. And maybe I should have I should have backed up for just a moment. I think the first most obvious distinction is that Georgetown has its own application. It does right. not take the common app. So that, that's right. probably the most obvious. If you can't find the application, that's because you're not looking on Georgetown's website. Um, so then, yes, it does. Uh, it does. Uh, it should determine how that student approaches their their application because there's distinctive essays for each of the four schools and. How that, how that application will be reviewed. Um, it's going to be reviewed by different people that represent that college. So they're looking very closely that you don't just know Georgetown, you know what you're getting into with that specific school or with that specific college. So it's one thing, I think a lot of students make the decision, they look just at the list of majors. And I think that's a little bit of an oversight uh, or just a simplification. I think the, the four colleges have very distinct core curriculum, and I think few students spend the time understanding, okay, what does it mean? What do I have to take if I go to the Georgetown College versus what do I have to take if I go to the School of Nursing and Health Studies? Um, it's not just about the major. It's also understanding what the other requirements would be. The size of school is very different. The Nursing and Health Studies School is by far the, the smallest. The College of Arts and Science is far the biggest. Um, mm-hmm. So really understanding that that decision does shape your educational experience in many ways. Um, and students are expected to understand that when they're writing that second essay that is school-specific. Not just Georgetown-specific, but college-specific within college Georgetown. Specific. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's really interesting to hear because I think that a lot of students, when they are engaging in research and trying to figure out where they want to apply. They're going to use, you know, sites like the Princeton Review or the Fifth Guide, or they're just going to sort of stop in on a school website and read some of the the basic overview of facts about the the institution. And it sounds like you're saying that that might be insufficient for, uh, you know, this very specific essay where you've got to dig in more deeply. That that your research has to be a little bit more detailed so that you can point to some of the defining factors of the college you've chosen and, and how those things overlap with your objectives uh, for your education. Does that sound right? Absolutely. And it is far deeper because uh, many many college supplement, other college supplements, I think they it often is, you know, the why college access, X essay, what, why right. do you want to study here? But usually it's maybe 250 words, maybe 300 words. Georgetown is a full essay. So you have probably five to 600 words 
on not just Georgetown, but on that college. And so they're really looking for a deep dive um, in that second essay. Interesting. So, I mean, this this is really useful stuff, I think, because you might look at this and sort of say, I'm just going to put it in the category with all those other why this college essays. But uh, I, I think this is great advice that you've got to go deeper and look um, more at that fit for that particular school. Um what else? What are some other things that, that are a little bit different about Georgetown? They, they, they occasionally come up on our team listserv, um, you know, everything except Georgetown, right? Like there are, there are some things about the application process there that are, that are unique. Are there other things that sort of stand out for you as a former AO there? Sure. One of the, I think the, probably the biggest question and probably usually the biggest complaint <laughs> that we get is, is about the subject test. Um, And I think it is a little bit trickier, confusing, um, and does separate Georgetown. Georgetown is expecting three SAT subject tests. Now, this is where it gets a little bit fuzzy because they are strongly recommended. They're not technically required. But as I tell all my students, you know, if something's recommended, that means it applies to you. You can say it doesn't apply to other people, but it applies to right. you. <laughs> so, right. you know, there, there needs to be a reason why you haven't done it. Um, right. if, if you, I think that's, you know, really the only way you can think about it. Uh, it's like that a, there is, there's a ahead. little bit of leniency at early action. At early action, if a student hadn't completed three by that point, or maybe they didn't realize, you know, the vast majority still had one or two, but if they didn't have three, um, and then they were deferred to regular decision. Uh, Georgetown was absolutely expecting that the students supplemented their application with up to three subject tests. Interesting. So that's a time where if you get a particular decision and you've got the space and time to do those subject tests, or if the results may have come in um, during the submission process, that you want to make sure and update your application for Georgetown so that they understand you've got those three subject tests. Exactly. And it's really important for the deferral because remember, every single student at early action at Georgetown is either admitted Mm -hmm. or deferred. Absolutely nobody is rejected. So if you're not admitted, you are going to be deferred. And I I can vouch for the fact that every single student that is deferred will be evaluated again. Not like you're put in a pile and said, no, they're done. We just want to, you know, sugarcoat it. Every student will be evaluated again, but we are looking for some updates, and that subject test would definitely be one of them. Interesting, and I think that that's that's really important uh, for students to know who are applying early action. And this is one of the things I actually asked you about um, uh, when we were just preparing for this show, because I, I applied to Georgetown well over ten years ago now, and uh, mm-hmm. I got deferred in early action. And I figure, oh man, well this means I'm still alive. Like this is great. This is much better than a no. And that's sort of half true, right? It's good that I wasn't, it's good that I'm still alive. And it certainly is the case that my application was going to be reevaluated, but there wasn't a possibility of my being denied at that point either. So it's hard to gauge what your chances are if you're deferred in that early action round, uh, but it may be, it's highly likely that you need to update something about your application to improve it if you're going to have a chance of getting it in regular. Does that sound right to you? That's absolutely right. And I do, I will give Georgetown credit in that, you know, we certainly get feedback that they think counselors mostly say that students really need to be let go if they're not going to be admitted after early action. No, that's not the principle of Georgetown. They said everybody deserves a second chance and they do review them. But I will also say that I think that they're very honest. In that deferral letter, they put the statistics. 
they usually say, you know, we expect to admit right. 10% of those deferred. So when you see those numbers, if all of a sudden you see, oh, well, 10%, that means I have a really good shot, you don't understand percentages and, <laughs> and <laughs> right. likelihood, right? We've so, talked about that you know, on the show before, that I, I don't understand. I didn't, at least when I was in high school, understand percentages and statistics because of how I was putting my list together. But, yeah, I think that's I think it's totally great that, that Georgetown gives that information. And it's useful to know that this is just like a blanket policy. We don't deny students in early. You're going to get deferred right. or you're going to be accepted. Um, and so going in, it's important for students to know that. Um is there anything else? So we've got the, the three subject test requirement, the deferral in, in early action as, as the um, one of two decision options. Um, was there, I, I want to get to the conversation about the committee process. And that's something that's really yeah. interesting that, that you talked about. Is there anything else that from a sort of a student facing pers- perspective that tends to be a little bit different with Georgetown or have we mostly covered it? I think we mostly covered it. I, I think um, where things can really stand out is, ha- is how the committee process is structured. So I'd love to get into that yeah. and shed some light because I, it, it, Georgetown is very different from any college that I know of um, on how they review applications in, in their committee process. Yeah, tell us a little bit more about that structure and who has a seat at the table, sort of what that, what that looks like. Sure. So first of all, there's a regional admissions officer, and most, or at least many colleges have regional admissions officers, meaning that there's one person that is dedicated to your state or territory. And of course, that person is very important. That person is going to be the first um, hands on your application. And that person is there to give the context of the high school, the region. But unlike other colleges, where usually then that person is your advocate from start to finish, that that person is going to present you to committee and fight passionately for for you um, with all of their colleagues. Their hands are really off of it once they put the the context on the file. They pass it on to, like I said, that the the individual college committee. So Georgetown is then broken up in their committee. It's not all admissions officers sit around a table and decide everything for the university, it is passed on to a school-specific, so the college-specific committee. And the structure is fascinating. There is one admissions officer, only one, and it's not going to be your regional admissions officer, so nobody is advocating for you specifically. So it's one Mm -hmm. admissions officer, one dean from that college, one current professor from that college, and one current student, undergraduate student from that college. So there's four people, all with equal votes, that read all the committee files. And this is what's fascinating, because the student has just as much power as the admissions officer. And those four people are reading for very, you know, just human nature, reading for very different things. And this is, I loved having this committee process, because it was different perspectives that, the student would say, you know, we have way too many uh, politically active kids. I love this kid because they're going to bring something different to our campus. We don't have enough of that. The, hmm. the, prof- the professor would, re- would scrutinize the, the, uh, the professor would scrutinize the teacher recommendations and really try to understand what that kid was bringing to the classroom. The admissions officer might say, wait a second, it's so important that we have a kid from Wyoming. You've got to understand right. the whole picture Yeah, global here. view. Right. Yeah, and then the dean would usually, they would try to pick out things about 
the health of the student or saying, you know, how well um, balanced they seem or, you know, what potential problems they might come in. Or they'd read through the lines and say, oh, wait a second, this seems like, you know, a helicopter parent situation. I don't want them in my office all year. So it was really interesting the different perspectives that they were reading through these through these applications. Um, and like I said, each person had an equal vote. That's really interesting. I think in other admission offices, like, like Reed where I worked, uh, admission officers were involved in the entire committee process and we were supposed to represent the interests of students and deans mm-hmm. and faculty members. But it's very interesting for Georgetown to just sort of go right to the source and say, why don't we just bring these people into the committee? Because they're going to have a perspective that's, that's really useful. Um, is there any way to know as a student who's applying, you, you probably know your regional rep, are you going to know who's in the committee that's deciding your application later on down the road? Absolutely not. Um, and it, it and it rotates. So it is not a life sentence because it's a lot of files to read. And this is a volunteer position. This is actually how I got involved in admissions. I, um, I uh, applied to be the student representative and I was chosen for the Georgetown College. So I was the student reader and fell in love with it. And that's why um, I ended up in admissions. So, no, it does rotate every year. So you won't know that. But what's important to remember, you do know that you are going to be read by a professor from the School of Foreign Service, if that's where you're going to apply, or you're going to be read by a dean from the business school, if that's where you're applying. So that's why it's even more important to express, to, to, to demonstrate that you know that college, not just Georgetown, but you know that college inside and out in that second essay. Because I would say that they're probably more critical of that than even the first essay, the, the yeah. kind of that, that personal statement. Just higher expectations. I mean, you're joining a community that, um, in the case of a professor, you know, they're they're probably tenured or or they've been there for a long yep. time. They really care about that particular uh, field. They've they've devoted their lives to it, and and so you want to make sure that you're giving you know some really strong care and attention to the essay that that talks about being a part of the school where where they spend their lives. Um, so I think exactly. that's that's super interesting. Um, any other tip that this is, so I think this is kind of interesting because we've talked before about committee structure. Um, and part of the view is, well, if you, whether you know how the decisions are made or not, it's not always the case that that's going to affect how your application will be presented, um, or how you should fashion your application. You're saying something a little bit different here, which is keep in mind what the interests are that are represented at this table and make sure your application represents that, uh, those interests. Um, anything else that you would give just as final tips for students that are thinking about applying to Georgetown that, that relates to uh, your time as a, uh, an admission officer there? Um, I guess just one sort of uh, anecdotal or, or just a, a tip is that there's a, a funny little um, section on the first page of the application that says, you know, share any special talent, skills, or interests. And as an admissions officer, it was probably my favorite favorite little part. Um, but that's really, you know, don't leave that blank. You have some kind of personality to express that's more than just GPA or test scores. And if you make the world's best chocolate chip cookies, put that in there. You know, if you are obsessed with, who knows, uh, mechanical pencils, you know, put that in. tell us a little bit about your quirks. I would say it's more about quirks. Um, yeah. Then having to then having to state again, you know, I am captain of of the of the soccer team. Well, I already saw that. 
you know, really use that section to show your personality, but they're only looking for a sentence or two. But that's just one, you know, one thing that kind of jumped out to me that a lot of students either skipped because they didn't know what to write um, or didn't really express their personality. And, and we were always looking for something to make us smile and, and know more about you. Yeah, mechanical pencils. That's uh, that's quite a pull there. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty unusual. Uh, Lauren, thank you so I much for your perspective. A, I read here. a great essay about that. That's like no kidding. Mind, so. oh my yeah, gosh. seriously. <laughs> you never know what's going to hit. That doesn't mean, listeners, that you should go write an essay on mechanical pencils. But no, you know, right. there's an example of it working. Um, thanks so much for your your time here and for all your help behind the scenes on on the radio show as well. Um, it was great. Absolutely, thank and thanks. It's always a pleasure. Bye bye. All right, folks, when we come back, we are going to open up our uh, office hours and we're holding them in a virtual library. Don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back to the show. If you enjoyed that last segment with Lauren, and I did, um, I want to remind you it's never too late to subscribe to our podcast or dive back into the archives at voiceamerica.com. Finding our old episodes is a snap. Uh, over the last month and a half, we've done a peek behind the scenes at Tufts, Reed, Holy Cross, Babson, and USC. There's so much more for you to learn uh, about everything that we've ever done, and it's all available for you to download and listen to again and again, if necessary, uh, to get a better perspective on this whole college admissions beast. Um, and that little intro brings us to today's office hour. So joining me from her office in the Midwest is the very talented Kira Tyler, formerly of the Brandeis University Admission Office. Welcome, Kira. Thanks, Ian. What a good intro. Appreciate it. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> uh, only the best for you. So I emailed you a couple days ago, might have been yesterday, I don't know, um, and said, how would you like to talk about reading on the show? Um, And you're like, great, that sounds awesome. Um, And, uh, you know, College Coach, I think as an organization, I remember my interview with Karen Crowley when I was first um, starting here, we just talked about books for almost an hour. Um, And it's something that's very near and dear to us. But there's also real value, I think, to to books and and reading for our students. And we want to make some of that explicit um, in terms of our advising today. Um, What do you say to students when they start thinking about how to use their summertime and and the subject of reading comes up? I'm asking you in, in sort of the broadest possible terms. We'll see where this takes us. Sure. So... I'm a huge reader. Um, you know, I was that kid who would go out to dinner when I was little as soon as I learned how to read, and there were five of us. I have two brothers, and um, I would sit under the table while our food was, while we were waiting for our food and read. I mean, this is a, my wedding shower had a book theme, so I went on my honeymoon with like 15 new books. I mean, reading is um, something I'm very passionate about, and so um, inevitably, if you work with me, or have a conversation with me as a student, I will ask you about your reading habits. And so, you right. know, what I, yeah, I mean, what I'm most interested in um, is that students really are just reading. Um, I mean, when they are in between their junior and senior year and the work of uh, starting on their essays is upon us, um, then I think we talk about more guided reading based on trying to capture what a specific kind of voice sounds like um, in preparation for, you know, what their essay may potentially sound like. We're not cribbing anybody, but as a good guide. Um, And so I'm just really interested in the idea that they are willing to give some of their time to reading. Um, And I think students often make the mistake that every time we talk about college, that it has to be something super academic and heavy. But... um, I'm not necessarily saying that they need to start reading their EP lit or whatever. It's, you know, War and Peace, although that's a fantastic novel, but they don't have to read War and Peace. They can read, you know, there's lots of space in the universe for various reading titles and subjects and depths and all of that. So my goal is fluency. My goal is trying to get their hands around tone and voice and structure um, yeah. in a way that's easy and pleasant. Yeah, habit habit setting is another big yeah. goal, especially for younger students. It's just sort of like if you're used to picking up a book uh, in your idle time or dedicating an hour in the evening to reading, then that's a habit that you can carry 
you know, for the rest of your life. And there's real value to that, that I think, you know, students start to think about, oh man, I got to work on my summer reading for, for AP Lit. That feels more like a chore. Whereas if you've set these habits, um, it's something that allows you to manage that, I think, a lot more easily. Um, I would agree. I, yeah. It, and even, I'm sorry, you know, I was just going to say that even, you know, if I know students are going on vacation and I hope everyone has the opportunity to have some downtime, right? Whether it's just a vacation sure. at home or going away, you know, I'm like, gosh, wouldn't it be great if you went through your required reading before that so you could kind of just sort of laze and read whatever you want while you're gone. Wouldn't that be great? So I really like you. I'm in the I'm in the habit of helping kids set healthy habits, particularly around reading. And let's remember too, it's a nice counterpoint to all this screen time and multitasking that they are constantly faced with. So I like it for that reason as well. Right, right. I, I was sort of thinking as we were Preparing for the show, I was this morning was sort of scrolling through Twitter and I was like, when we're talking about reading, we're not meeting, read your Twitter timeline or your Facebook feed, but like really have yeah. intentional time that you're devoting to a yeah. book or even an article um, such that you are giving that your full attention because there is some real excellent practice, I think, that comes out of of that kind of thing. And, you know, you said that you're reading a little bit more articles now these days, um, you know, it, rather than books or or adding it, supplementing your, your normal book reading. Um, is it okay for students to, to do that, to, to sort of find articles? And what sort of is the difference in value between articles and books? Sure. I mean, there's such good short-form writing um, out there, and there's so many people who are now pursuing writing as, as an occupation that I think mm-hmm. did not exist five, ten years ago that, um, yeah, I mean, I, like, has anybody picked up a copy of The Atlantic lately? Or, you know, like, I mean, it can take you, it feels like weeks <laughs> to get through, you know, a few of those articles. Or, gosh, of course, everybody knows The New Yorker can take you, like, months to get through three, <laughs> three yeah. articles. Um, yeah. But, but. But we also don't have to go that route, too. I mean, there's really fantastic writing that's under a thousand words and, you know, can still be thoughtful and careful and beautifully written. So um, I do find myself um, partly the subject. I mean, I'm mostly interested, not only, but, you know, a lot of the articles I read, like many people are around current events. And so, um, you know, I try to seek... Um, you know, various voices that, um, and I'm finding that it's just, those are easier for me to get through right now. But um, it's a, you know, it's a goal of mine, particularly, um, you know, with the summer and my daughter can now read that, um, you know, while she's reading that I'm also modeling good reading habits. So it has meant I started going back to our public library and, you know, we stop off at the bookstore. And um, so I'm excited to reincorporate reading because, you know, when you have small children, sometimes that can be something that, um, you know, leaves you. So right, because you've got you've got like five minutes of alone time, yeah. and that's not really enough time to sink your teeth <laughs> into War and Peace. Um, but right. you might be able to read a quick article, and you know there are a lot of great articles out there that fit student interests, right? So um, the Ringer, for example, is a really great website of sports writing. And so if you're somebody that's really interested in sports, um, you can go find a sports writing at a, a website and and find really excellent reading there. Um, you can follow writers with bylines that you you really like um, on Twitter and see what kind of writing they're recommending to people to read. Um, so it's a great way, I think, to sort of figure out differences in styles and how a voice can come through. Um, and there's also value for standardized testing, right? I mean, like yeah. 
um, reading comprehension, um, thinking about articles, the main point, what's the takeaway here? What's the vocabulary? Um, I used to uh, read The Economist and underline words I didn't know the definitions to. Um, and it was like every other word for the sake of The Economist because <laughs> it's just insanely dense vocabulary. But there's a, there's real value to that, that kind of stuff. How, how do you suggest students engage with reading and, and writing? Is there a way that they can bring writing and some of their own thoughts into reading that they're doing uh, for fun or, or even f- to improve their knowledge of what's happening in the world? Yeah. I mean, this sounds, and, and before I answer this, that question, Ian, I want to um, give a shout to longreads.com is a site that I go to frequently because it sort of pulls together their quote-unquote best of the week, um, and they focus on a variety of articles. Most of them are going to be a thousand words plus, so some of them can be very long, um, but um, I visit it regularly and have I mean, really picked up some articles on subjects that I never would have found otherwise and have been really interesting subjects and um, really great writing. So um, just a shout-out to Long Reads. But in terms of, you know, writing, writing is a muscle, and I think people forget that. Um, And just like any other muscle, we've got to stick with it. And so... I find that particularly over the summer, writing is, especially if kids are like a little slow on getting started on their on their essays, or they're just not there yet, and that's fine. Or younger kids, even um, writing is something that they should still be doing on a regular basis. And so, for mm-hmm. students that if they if their reading game is solid and they're working on that and they're getting some steady reading and on a regular basis, I love the idea of just doing some general journaling, um, you know, to accompany that. It doesn't have to be profound. It doesn't have to be long. But, um, you know, you could set a timer for 10, 15 minutes and see what comes. Um, just about what's going on, plans that you have for the week, goals for the summer, whatever. A funny movie that you saw last night, a, a redux of a conversation that you got into it with a group of friends. I mean, anything. But I think the art of sitting down and writing or typing out something um, in the form of, a writing piece, and I use the word writing in quotes and loosely, but um, it's still a muscle we want to flex, Um, and there's a lot of value in just sitting down and writing with nowhere to go, right? No destination, no point, Um, just like reading. There's a lot of value in that, so I think the two go really beautifully hand in hand, and you know, back to this idea of, of its impact on standardized testing, even though we know that the verdict is still out in many schools on how they evaluate or, or rather don't evaluate a student by their writing score. We still want students to feel comfortable and some fluency around that. So right. I think writing, you know, journaling and writing over the summer is hugely beneficial. And journaling is, you know, that's a concept that I think when I hear it, I think of, you know, like a leather bound notebook and um, you've got a pen, maybe a quill and you're sitting by candlelight and reflecting on your life. It doesn't have to be that, right? I mean, it can be, it can be a private blog that you have. It can be a Google doc that you open up and, you know, there's not quite as romantic to open up your, your Google doc and just type away for a paragraph, but like, that's good too. 
Um, one thing that, you know, when I was reading a lot of really interesting memoirs, it inspired me to want to write to friends. And so, you know, developing like pen pals and sending emails and just sort of like catching up, but trying to do it in creative ways and using different kinds of rhetorical flourishes. It's, it's good practice. And you sort of alluded to this cycle between reading and writing and how they feed each other. And, and I think that that's really, really key. Um, we, I, I want to talk about narrative voice um, in writing for seniors um, who are thinking about their essays. Um, I, you mentioned in an email to me, When Breath Becomes Air, which is one of my favorite books that I read in the last year or so, uh, I've asked all of my rising seniors to read that. Um, and two students have finished it so far, and they say it's just amazing, an amazing book. Um, and just a clear sort of reflection on life. And, and there's, there's just a it's straightforwardness to the writing that I think is really valuable. Are there other books or, or types of books that you recommend for students as they think about voice in their essay writing? Yes, I do. So, um, yeah, gosh, it like, it, it takes my breath away a little bit when breath becomes air. It's so, yeah. oh, that book was so good on so many levels and, oh, it's, Excellent. But in any case, and um, right. I try not to steal too many of yours, Ian, but um, That's fine. We, we both agreed David Sedaris, as I said, is king. Um, you know, I think in a lot of, right, I think in a lot of ways, um, his Santaland diary sort of kicked off this whole beautiful craze around memoirs and that type of narrative writing, and it has just he never disappoints, right? He's both a fantastic storyteller and a great writer, and those two things do not always go hand in hand. Um, And so I think he's a fantastic role model and example and super easy, uh, digestible reading. Um, So I would say David Sedaris for sure. We also agree similar, sort of similar, but a little different, um, Bossy Pants by Tina Fey is totally different unexpe- but great yeah it's totally different but great it's unexpectedly unexpectedly so good and i think it crosses gender too right because i know sometimes people get worried about like too chick litty or something like that but um she just is a smart writer i mean she's a smart right. writer on her tv shows and this i mean it that woman's got writing skills that all of us would really kill for right um so i would say she's really great um Recently, I picked up um, Scrappy Little Nobody, uh, which I was not expecting a lot from. It's by Anna Kendrick, um, the young ingenue actress. And, um, you know, she might resonate with some of our high school students if they've ever watched Perfect Pitch. She's sort of the lead role. And, you know, but she has some interesting things to say in a really like her writing voice is so strong and that's what I love about her is that this title is scrappy little nobody fits both her personality seemingly and her writing style so well. It's a really, really good one. Um, so yeah. And, and the, I, I wanted to say that like, you know, these voices are really strong and what we're, we're not saying that you got to go out there and be Tina Fey or Anna Kendrick. Um, that's hard to do, but like recognize that, who they are is reflected in their writing and that their writing is, is done in such a way to capture their voice. And that's a great illustration for what you want to do as a writer uh, when you're working on an essay for, for college applications. Right. Because how many times have we written, have we read something and thought, this is not your voice. 
I, I'm right. guessing you wrote this, but you wrote this trying to be somebody else, trying to right. be somebody that you thought you were supposed to be. And that is exactly the opposite of what these really great pieces do. So I think if, if nobody picked up anything other than those four titles, um, I'm also on a, on a Mindy Project binge yeah. lately, and she's another one who is, oh, my goodness, but also, you know, a really, really bright, um, engaging writer with a super strong voice. Um, so if you pick up nothing but those titles, I think you're, you'll be in really great shape all summer. Um, yeah. I also floated the idea, Ian, of podcasts. I mean, that doesn't really get us, that gets us out of the reading genre, but, you know, there's some sort of personal narrative types. This American Life is obviously the king of right. that. Um, but that can help students if they are struggling to commit to a page. They can listen and get a sense for what it means to capture one's narrative voice. Yeah, those those are stories that were initially written and presented in voice. Yes. And so there's there's yes. there's writing to be had on podcasts as well. And Kira, I don't know why I was worried that we were going to have trouble filling a segment talking about reading. Um, we're over, way over. So <laughs> thanks, thanks for a great Sorry. conversation on reading. And uh, listeners, I want to let you know that email us some of your reading suggestions. Um, you know, if there are books that you read that you feel like fit this, uh, send them into us at gettinginvoiceamerica at gmail.com and we'd love to learn about them. Kira, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me in. Take care. Of course. Bye. Bye. We will be right back uh, to talk about uh, college scholarships, so don't go anywhere. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. 
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the show. Uh, one thing that we notice here at College Coach is that summer moves fast. Uh, everything moves fast in terms of these deadlines. Beth Heaton's sort of fond of noting each year just how fast the back-to-school catalog arrives in her mailbox after school has ended, sometimes before school has ended. Things go pretty quickly. And, and you know, in those moments, you can kind of miss opportunities to apply for scholarships or read a book or whatever. And so... When we miss items on our to-do lists, we forget to do things in a timely fashion, we might wonder, when is it too late? When is it too early? Um, Joining me today to talk about summer scholarship deadlines uh, is one of our experienced finance experts and an experienced college mom, Lori Peltier. Welcome back to the show, Lori. Hi, Ian. It's great to be here. So we brought you in today to talk about scholarships with deadlines in the mid to late summer, July, August, September. Now, are are we thinking mostly about scholarships for seniors that are starting college in the fall, or are we thinking mostly about younger students at this point? Well, actually both. Students should always be looking for scholarships. Even if they're already enrolled in college, they can still apply for scholarships. It's not too late. For seniors who just graduated high school and are heading off to college in the fall, winning one of these scholarships over the summer could mean that they could cancel some of the loans they had to borrow to pay for their freshman year. There are also scholarship opportunities for students as young as 13. So, you know, you don't even have to be in high school. And then wow. there's other ones for students who are already in college. The scholarships that I've found for younger kids are a great way to get them started in the process, to start thinking about college, to start the conversation about how to pay for college. And I found one recently that I thought was um, very interesting, and it's due this summer. Um, it, I believe it has an August 1st due date. The title of it is Make Me Laugh Scholarship. The requirement is the students submit a written response talking about an embarrassing or funny incident that can make the judges laugh. So that sounds pretty easy for, for a middle schooler or a high schooler. Right. <laughs> yeah, just like reflect on literally any moment from 7th or 8th grade, <laughs> and right. you've got it, like yeah. nailed it. Um, so uh, I've heard about some of these scholarships. I've also heard of these raffle scholarships, drawing scholarships, um, you know, sort of selected, seems like randomly. I, I, what it how do they are they worth the time are they random what how do these things work yeah it's it's not an ideal way to apply for a scholarship uh, since they are truly random but it can be a very quick and easy way to get the student's name in the running for some possible money there's really no guarantee it is totally random and the student needs to be prepared to receive some unsolicited email. Usually by putting your hat in the ring for these scholarships, it means you're putting your name on a mailing list. And that's why I always recommend that a student set up a separate email account for their scholarship search so they're not inundated with unnecessary emails in their primary inbox. I was looking for ones with deadlines this summer and found one that's $2,000. It's a raffle, and it's a scholarship is called the No Essay Scholarship. I'm sure many students would love to do an application that does not require an essay. Yeah, 
you don't quite have to bury your soul about your embarrassing moments in middle <laughs> school. You don't have to do anything. You just sort of sign up and, and submit. Are those, is that scholarship open to students of all ages or is there some sort of restriction on who can, who can sign up for it? Uh, that one is um, students in high school or college. Nice, nice. I love your, your sort of refrain of always look for scholarships. It's never too late to, to have more money. I think that's, that's like the intersection of the, the mom and the finance expert, right? Like, <laughs> right. Don't, don't let these opportunities pass you by. Um, so what about these scholarship applications? We've talked about them a little bit on the show before, but what can we sort of expect uh, to be a requirement of the scholarship application? Most scholarship applications include basic information, student name, address, high school, grades, test scores, and academic interest. If the scholarship says that it's need-based or intended for financially needy students, the application will also ask for financial information on the family. And if it's based on a specific talent, it might require artwork or video or a sample of their music, and then many will also require an essay. And finding these scholarships. Um, you know, I've, I've heard some resources that, that students can use. Are the resources that you'd recommend the same regardless of student age, or the, do they tend to shift when you're in college where you might go to, to find things like this? The ones I've been mentioning are national scholarships that can be found by some of the database search engines like scholarships.com, collegeboard.org, FastWeb, those are some of the popular ones. They're all free of charge. The student answers questions about themselves, and it does a search. That can work for anyone. Um, when the student's in college, I usually recommend that they go to their faculty or the chair of their mm-hmm. department to see where um, other students have found money in the past or if they're aware of anything within their industry that might be um, applicable for their situation. Is there, um, is there a particular time of year for college students to be looking at scholarships or, or a good time to approach a faculty member or student services office, or is it just sort of any time it sort of occurs to you that you go and do it? I would say any time, um, because the, the deadline dates for scholarships really vary. They're all around the calendar, just, you know, like we said, some are in July and August. Who would think that you'd be thinking yeah. about it then? Um, so it really depends on who's sponsoring the scholarship and when they want the applications in so they can start reviewing them. So I would say whenever the student has time, makes sense if they're in college to start at the beginning of the academic year so they don't miss any opportunities. I, I was actually pretty surprised when I saw the, the topic of this segment, um, July, August scholarships. I thought it was like getting an early jump on scholarships if you're going to be a senior in, in high school next year. Uh, but, but you know, it's for seniors now who are going into college next year. So it, it really is a year round kind of thing. Um, we, you know, we were talking about writing in the last segment. I think writing is sort of ubiquitous whenever we, uh, we talk about anything related to this process. Um, are there standard essay questions that students can expect to see when it comes time to look for a scholarship? Um, and are there ways that students can maybe reuse certain essays or, or get support to make sure that their essays are really effective um, when they send, send them into scholarship organizations? Right. It, it really varies uh, scholarship to scholarship, but um, some of them will be asking similar questions that they might be answering on their admission application. So they may be able to recycle something that they've already written and maybe just tweak it a little bit, uh, which is great. It saves a lot of time. 
in the ones that I was looking at with due dates this summer, you know, there's one that's for student athletes. They need to write about how athletics has impacted their life. There's another one about um, don't text and drive, and they need to write an essay about the dangers of texting and driving. Uh, there was one interesting one that was called the Family Travel Forum, where the student must write travel blogs answering certain essay prompts as they traveled for the summer with their family. Cool. Uh, that was, you know, so there's, there's a lot of different ones. Um, and one thing to think about is the scholarships that do require an essay tend to get fewer applications because the oh. kids are so burnt out from yeah. writing essays that they avoid them. So that's one strategy to increase your chances of winning is to target those scholarships that might be requiring an essay or might be smaller amounts of money because a lot of kids pass over those for the bigger dollar amounts. Interesting. And then, I mean, I think that's also, there's extra incentive there to look for scholarships earlier on in your process so that your essay writing right. isn't all happening at once, right? You can like really spread it out. Um, it might feel like a, a drag to be writing essays all the time for a couple of years, but I think that it's much worse to have to do tons and tons of work over a period of just a few months um, when you're doing both your scholarship and your admission essays. Um would you say that there's a difference in what you say in a scholarship essay versus what you might say in an admission essay, or should the tone of the two be fairly similar? That's a good point. I, I would say the tone should be similar. Um, however, if it's a scholarship based on financial need, it's okay to grovel. You know, it's okay to air your dirty laundry about how this financial hardship of going to college is going to affect your family. Whereas other people might try to stay stoic and say, you know, we've got this, I can do this no matter what. But when it's a scholarship based on finances, you may want to really bring home the, the impact that paying for college will have on your family. And, and that's something I would never recommend you do in admission where you say, <laughs> right. please, please, I would need to get into this college. Like, that is never going to work. So <laughs> that's a really great uh, distinction, I think, to provide, Lori. Um, any other tips that you would give for students about uh, summer scholarships as we, we draw the segment to a close? Uh, I would just say, you know, it seems like a, a bad time of year to do it. You, there's so many other things you want to be doing with your time, but an hour or two on the computer and filling out an application, you know, to get five hundred, a thousand, two thousand dollars for an hour or two out of your summer, I, I think really think it's worth it. Totally worth it. I completely agree. Uh, Lori, thanks for taking uh, the time to join us and talk about scholarships and and helping me learn something in the process as well. No problem. Happy to be here. Next week. Sally Yanga returns to the hosting chair, and she'll be answering your listener questions. Fire those off to us whenever you, whenever you feel so inspired at gettinginvoiceamerica at gmail.com. And, and send us some of those reading recommendations as well. I'd love to see them. Uh, we we want to answer your questions on a future show. Um, and if your question requires a really detailed conversation, it helps us build future segments where we talk uh, in greater detail about your question. Uh, strawberries are ripening in my backyard, and uh, I keep having to bang on the window to make the birds and squirrels go away. They're trying to eat them. Uh, and then we've got blueberries up front. Uh, so however you're celebrating the red, blue, and white, enjoy the holiday weekend. We'll see you here next week on Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.